Hey, Sam. Hey, Teresa. What's up? It's been quite a week. I know. How are you doing with all that's going on? I'm managing. How about you? Oh, I just need help. Okay. For today's episode, we'll be talking about the film Do the Right Thing, directed by Spike Lee over a cup of coffee with cream. Then we'll interview my friend Malachi about his thoughts on the film. Great. Let's get started. Okay, so for this week's episode, I chose a pretty basic drink, coffee with cream. And if you know me, you know that I love coffee and I'll drink it at any time of the day. And for me, coffee is just a very homey drink. It reminds me of a fresh start to the morning. It reminds me of a drink that tastes good. That didn't really make sense. But in quarantine, this sounds really bad, but... Whenever I drink coffee, I just feel like for like an hour, I have like hope (laughs) because like my heart starts beating really fast. And there's just like this hour where I'm like, okay, I can do it. This is great. Um, For me, this is the first time I drank coffee since I've been home because at school, the only reason I drank coffee is like to power through stuff. What I was thinking the other day is during quarantine, it's one of the first times, extended periods of time probably since middle school where I'm not sleep deprived ever really I don't think Mm. I've been sleep deprived in like the past two months which is crazy because I just normally don't sleep so my caffeine consumption is just like dropped off drinking this coffee right now my like mind is literally like (laughs) buzzing in my skull and it kind of hurts but (laughs) i'm glad you enjoyed it see i feel like i don't have any correlation between sleep deprivation and coffee if i get like 12 hours of sleep 20 hours of sleep i will still be drinking coffee in the morning it's more of like a part of my routine and the one time actually that i hate drinking coffee is to keep awake at night because it just feels so grimy and my mouth is dry and I'm like, ew, it's like 2 a.m. Why am I drinking this? Mm -hmm. So in that case, I honestly would prefer an energy drink over coffee. But also it's very important how you take your coffee, you know, because you got to be consistent with this. Do not trust people who um, change up their coffee order every time. So Sam, how how do you like to drink your coffee? I, like I said, I drink it to stay awake. I You are not care. to be trusted. <laughs> Anyways, for those who are asking, I drink my coffee only with cream because it gives it a homey feel and also sugar in coffee. Any coffee product is disgusting and black coffee just kind of throws me off. Fun fact is that for my essay to apply to Brown, they're like right about They told me to write about something stupid. And I wrote about how I love drinking coffee with two creams and no sugar. Did you get in? And that's probably why. No, I got on the waiting list and they never (laughs) let me in. So looking back, I was like, "Uh." (laughs) no, it was literally 300 words about two creams, no sugar. You would have gotten accepted without that essay. That essay, they were like, "Uh." waiting list. (laughs) 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 all right enough about coffee let's move on to why we are here today 
we're here to discuss the film Do the Right Thing, directed by Spike Lee. If you don't know about this film, it's a pretty legendary film and one of Spike Lee's most famous and best films. Mm. And this film, I think me and Teresa have very different experiences with this film because Do the Right Thing has been with me and like sitting with me since I think freshman year of high school when I saw it for the first time. It's one of my mom's favorite movies and we watched it for the first time together. And since then I've watched it like probably four or five other times, pretty much once a year. I've watched it with my brother, mm-hmm. with friends at school. And the reason why I think we both want to talk about it this week, even though Teresa didn't know that much about it before this week, is because it's very much, it came out in 1989, I think, and it's a very mm-hmm. much a timeless <clears throat> film. It feels just as relevant today, which we'll get into later. And I don't know how you felt, but I think it's just a beautiful looking film. Like it looks... Yeah exactly like you're meant to like feel yeah how'd you find this film on your first watch so I've always known about the film do the right thing I mostly know it because of the comparison between like Black Klansman versus Green Book and do the right thing versus driving Miss Daisy so I've always been meaning to watch Spike Lee's film do the right thing I did watch she's gotta have it with my mom, which was definitely a weird experience. Cause you my watched mom the movie, right? Yeah. My mom didn't really understand what was going on. But as most of Spike Lee's films are, it's very stylistic. And then also I watched Black Klansman. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Black, Black Klansman. Like I liked it the first time around. But then I heard Boots Riley speak about it at Penn and after he spoke about it and basically was like spike lee why what is the point of you making this movie and also apparently he like skewed a lot of the plot lines to make the cop seem better than he was i was i was kind of like sus about black Klansmen, but that was a tangent but anyways yeah i just watched the movie for the first time yesterday unfortunately but i've always been meaning to watch it just haven't really gotten around to it yeah and i think another thing we could maybe talk about in this section because I'm not sure we'll get to it with Malachi, is the evolution of Spike Lee's politics. Like, I think mm. you could also speak on this, Teresa, because you've seen his first movie and his last... I think Black Klansman is the last movie. He yeah. Made. Oh, don't forget and, he also came out with Chirac, and we were all like, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, weird to me because she's got to have it and do the right thing are such, like, complex political statements, I feel like. Yeah. Whereas... I don't I know Spike Lee would disagree. I don't think there's very much complexity in the political message in Black Klansman. Like I think that mm. Black Klansman is like KKK bad, cops good. <laughs> Whereas do the yeah. right thing, I think the whole point of do the right thing is like you don't know who's right. Like that's why it's called do the right thing, you know? It's like there's this like ambiguity whereas in spike lee's newest stuff it's like it seems like he's lost that i think that if i had watched black Klansmen after watching do the right thing i would have been very disappointed on first view and i know that spike lee has responded to boots riley's comments basically tearing on his film on twitter and on a rolling stone article 
But basically Spike Lee was like, you know me, like, you know that most of my films are about like portraying the cops in like sort of a bad way. But like, I don't think that, you know, all cops are bad and like there are important narratives to tell. Obviously, you know, like not everyone who's a cop is bad, but I think that as an artist, you do have a responsibility. The artist is important just as important as like the artwork that they produce I think and I think that Spike Lee like I'm not sure why he wanted to use the voice that he has to tell this story that highlights like a good egg in a fucked up Mm. system you know yeah I also think it's funny that that criticism comes from Boots Riley because I hadn't thought about this till now but to me Boots Riley's film Sorry to Bother You operates in a very similar way to she's gotta have it and do the right thing where there's a message and it's clear what the message is but it doesn't hit you over the head do you know what i'm saying and it's like every character still feels like they're doing their own thing and like operating in this world whereas in black Klansmen, it feels like every character is just on this like little path that they follow like adam driver's character is just the white good guy mm-hmm. and like there's not a whole lot of depth, whereas I feel like in Do the Right Thing, the entire movie is built on depth. Like, if you look at Do the Right Thing, it takes place over the course of a single day. Yeah. Like, there is no, there's a plot, but the amount of things that happen in this movie that have nothing to do with the direct plot is just like building this whole world out. You know what I'm saying? If I had watched this movie initially, the way that he was able to kind of show a microcosm of race relations and the complexity not even just between like black and white but also you know asians latinos whatever i was just so impressed and as you said like black Klansmen. after coming off of that i'm like what what were you doing you know yeah black Klansmen was also the one that won the oscar and what's her best screenplay on that right yeah Yeah, and it's also interesting because Do the Right Thing, I don't think, won anything. That was the criticism because Spike Lee even said he was like, I'm more upset that Driving Miss Daisy won than if I had not been nominated at all. Or it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards. And I'm pretty sure the best supporting actor was Sal. Sal. So the one yeah. white guy. That was, yeah. And Sal, I didn't know that Sal died last year. That's oh, I didn't so know that either. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to give a quick rundown of the plot just so I think this is going to be a heavy spoilers episode, which I think is fine. Do the Right Thing is Spike Lee's second movie after the success of She's Gotta Have It in 1986. For She's Gotta Have It, I think Spike Lee was still a film student at NYU. And to finish the film, he maxed out both of his mom's credit cards. No so way. he just laid it all on the line. <laughs> and I guess it worked out. I believe in yourself. So after this, Spike Lee was one of the hottest directors like in Hollywood. And it cemented him as one of the greatest young directors of all time that can still be seen today. He's kind of a legendary director at this point. So Do the Right Thing was released in 1989 and centers around a series of events starring our main character, Mookie, who's played by Spike Lee, and it all takes place on a hot summer day in New York City. Mookie's the delivery boy at an Italian pizza shop that is owned by a man named Sal and run by him and his two sons. 
The pizza shop is pretty much a pillar in the community. So it surprises everyone when one of the members of the community begins to question Sal. So the first person to question Sal is a guy named Buggin' Out, who's one of Mookie's good friends, tells Sal that his wall of fame, which is a wall in his restaurant that features famous Italian-Americans, is racist because it features only Italian-Americans, even though the pizzeria is in an all-Black neighborhood. And this sentiment of racism continues to grow until one night it all boils over and Mookie makes a decision to throw a garbage can through Sal's window, starting a riot. I did not know that Spike Lee made She's Gotta Have It while he was still a student at NYU. Oh, he like Well, I mean, he was an MFA student at NYU. Oh, he was MFA. Yeah. Also, you know that he's a tenured professor at NYU? Yeah, he still teaches a class. People Um, see him on campus. I love how when I attended the NYU info session, they never mentioned that because if they did, I would have been like, um, I want to go. Oh, really? They, yeah. When I went, they said it. They said it when I was there. Maybe because they don't look like a Spike Lee fan. (laughs) 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 Thank you, Sam, for that little history on this film. And before we introduce our guest, Malachi, we just wanted to say a few words about him. Yeah, Malachi is one of my good friends at school. And the reason why we wanted to bring him on today is because he's a writer and a poet and he always has great things to say. Also, mm-hmm. we'll see if this is still true because I don't know, but he has a very controversial take about do the right thing. Ooh. And I think with everything that's been going on, it'll be interesting to see how his take has evolved, but we're very excited to have him on the show and hopefully this will be a great show for you. So I met Malachi through Sam. Sam had always talked about Malachi before (laughs) in just various contexts. Like, oh, you would like my friend Malachi because he's just, he has wild energy. And I was like, okay. (laughs) But um, yeah, then I met Malachi in real life, in person. And he does indeed have wild energy. So we're just going to call Malachi right now. Hey, Malachi. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? What's up, Sam? Thanks for having me. What's up, Teresa? Can you introduce yourself for all the listeners out there who might not know you? Uh, Hey, what's up? My name is Malachi. I'm friends of the host. (laughs) We met in college, and it's pretty lit. Now we're on lockdown, and we're getting lit. Still lit. Still lit. Still lit. Could you introduce the drink that you've chosen today? We're drinking some Sunny D. You know, the classic preschool drink where you're at the park and you're hot. But we're also setting it off with some Aquafina water. So, you know, we got to balance mm-hmm. it out. A little chaser. Ooh, a yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing on a riveting drink. Last week, Sam brought on orange juice with lime, and it was horrible. We'll never forgive him for that. But on to today's episode, which is about Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. We wanted to ask you first about, I guess, your relationship with this film, like when you first saw it and what it meant to you when you first saw the film. I don't remember when I first saw it. it might have been a couple, I know it was a couple of years ago, but when I first saw it, my mom had loved it and seen it before. So I don't know. I don't remember really how I felt about it. But the second time around felt brand new, which I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know if that means I'm like older and I have a different perspective. Or if I just forgot a lot about the movie and it's hitting a bit different. Was this the right second now. time you saw it? Was this yeah. time the second? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew what was going to happen at the end. Like, I was expecting it, but I was just kind of like, I didn't remember the details. And it's a lot of tension. He paints a lot of tension. I don't know. It's kind of scary that this was made, what, 30 years ago? 30 so, yeah. Now, yeah. 
and it's the exact same dynamics. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of wild. We were just talking about it before you came on. How timeless this film is in like the worst way possible. I feel like there are so many people who are going to watch this film and be surprised that this was made so long ago because I think a lot of people are seeing what's happening today and thinking that it's like the craziest, like the first time that people are reacting like this. And yeah, I think that this film shows that that's definitely not the case. Yeah. And my first watching experience was kind of like you, Malachi. I don't think that I was 100% sure how I felt about it. And I think with every watch of this movie, especially more recently, for me, my feelings become more clear. And what I love about this film is each time I watch it, I feel differently about the characters depending on what's going on in my life and what's going on like in the world around me. Fair, fair. And Teresa, this was your first time watching it, right? Yeah, this was my first time watching this movie. And as I said before, I watched like Black Klansman and She's Gotta Have It. Just those did not even hit remotely close to the same way as this film did. I will say though that like, stylistically she's got to have it and do the right thing like very much similar in terms of the music and like the dolly shots but i think that this movie in particular paints a very complex picture of i guess race relations over the course of one day yeah i guess one of my first questions would be like what are some scenes that stuck out to you And let's maybe stay away from, like, the ending two scenes, because I think we're going to talk about those later in depth. One small, one big. I mean, the intro, I think, was just super cool. Like, Rosie Perez just, like, Mm -hmm. going hard for, like, that entire song was interesting. But the scene that, like, I thought was the most interesting, at least, like, I want to tease out symbolically, is Smiley towards the beginning, introducing, like, his introduction as a character where he's like, this is Malcolm, and, like, this is Martin King. Him being this focus to that scene and, like, him being that character that he is, like, what is the importance of him, like, struggling to speak the truth, let's say, or, like, whatever mm-hmm. message he's delivering? Like, what does it mean for Smiley to be that that voice or, like, vessel for delivery? I think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's always been one of my favorite characters, and I've heard that he wasn't in the original cut of the film at all, and he was a character that was added after which I think is wild because of how well he fits in with the story. But um, I think his inability to really speak his message is even like accentuated more because he ends up being the catalyst for the events at the end. So even though he's not like able to speak, everyone pushes his words away his actions you can't push away what he does with his actions he makes it he sets everything off like the last scene of the riot in the film is with him like staring at the burning building so i think his inability to speak kind of corresponds with how words can't always be the answer like there has to actions are part of it and you can't always convince people of like what the truth is once you brought up smiley i feel like one of the initial scenes that came to my mind was when he was trying to get Pino and Sal to buy his photo through the window and Mm -hmm. that was right after you realize how much Pino how much hate Pino has in his heart more so 
I think even more so than Sal. And then the way that Pino treats Smiley on the street, like by going out and being like, fuck off. And then Sal comes out and tries to, you know, mediate the situation. And I think that that just paints a complex picture, I guess, of the two characters in terms of Pino just not being willing, I guess, to like listen. He's aware at how he sticks out in the neighborhood and thinks that like he shouldn't be there, I guess. Do you think it's symbolic that at the end of the film when they run the quotes by MLK and Malcolm X that they put Malcolm X's quote last, like as the final word? Yes and no, I guess. I mean, for for one thing, I think it's I think it's multiple reasons. Like obviously Martin Luther King is I think a name that's gonna resonate a bit more with probably who's ever viewing this. I mean, actually depending on the audience viewing it. Malcolm X I think is still painted as more of a controversial figure. So I think mm-hmm. putting it second is one of those because I mean it drastically flips the previous quote yeah where it's like you know violence is bad and then this one's like well I mean violence is like it's an option type thing so I don't know but I think that is the bravest move in the film putting both those quotes and kind of letting them sit like you're not taking a uh, solid stance on either because it really leaves you in an ambivalence I guess you really can't take one thing from the movie I guess yeah, this is definitely a movie where you have to interpret it. We were talking earlier about how Spike Lee in his newer movies gives you an interpretation, but I don't think he gives you much of anything here. And when I like was looking at scenes that really stood out for me for this film, it's like every scene has such a different interpretive meaning. And there's just so many different things. Like one scene that stood out to me is that scene with the white hipster who's wearing like the Larry Bird jersey and like runs over bugging outs like Jordans while he's like going up in his house. I think last time I saw it was like two years ago maybe. I was just like that's funny but now that I like know more about gentrification all of that stuff mm-hmm. it's so clear what spike lee was doing there also i don't think people were talking about gentrification at all the same way they're talking about it now and just like little moments like that are just so insightful to like the crazy web of the social situation that spike lee weaves in this movie can you like elaborate on that scene i think with that scene what struck me was how little the white guy like gave a shit he was very much just in his own little world like he didn't feel threatened he didn't feel like he did anything wrong he's like oh i'm sorry like whatever happens he's very much disrupting the life in a community and he is just completely unbothered which i feel like was the broader point of that scene I mean, I think that also what struck me was that like the excuse he made is an excuse that a lot of people evoke, which is, this is a free country. You can do whatever you want. Mm. With everything that's gone on in the past week, did this film take on a new meaning to you guys? I don't know. I don't even know. I mean, it probably takes on just a more intense meaning. Uh, Did you see that he posted like a one minute clip, like edit of the ending scene? He put it on Twitter. It's like a minute 30. Yeah. He puts in uh, the deaths of Eric Garner and George Floyd. And George Floyd. And he like puts them. And Radio Raheem. Yeah. And he puts them all together, like adds them together um, and kind of shows their parallels. So I don't even know if the meaning has ever really been lost or if we haven't seen, as far as like just needless death over insignificant things of black people, like 
I don't know if it's ever changed, but it just seems like, I guess even for Spike Lee, it's gotten to a point of intensity that he feels like he needs to reimagine it or maybe like maybe even like explicitly show people what it is. I don't know. I've always interpreted this movie as the riot being completely justified and everything that precedes it leading directly to the riot and like Sal as being an absolute piece of shit. But I know that there's people that see it differently. And so for me, like when the riots happened this week, I've seen them as like completely justified and like very sad. I know a lot of the businesses like around me on the South side have been looted and grocery stores and stuff, which is like sad, but completely justified in that, like that's that anger boiling over. And I think that this movie might even be helpful as a teaching tool for some people who don't really understand the violence. I think this makes it very clear. Actually, I know a lot of people who see this movie and are like, he did the wrong thing. There shouldn't have been a riot. But I think this movie makes it clear why there was a riot in a way that I think would make it easy for white people to understand, if that makes sense. I think that I would disagree with you in the sense that it's clear that Sal's a piece of shit. I mean, I I, I do think that obviously the riots were definitely justified and everything that happened mirrors exactly what's happening today i think that spike lee purposely paints a picture of sal where a lot of the audience is left with empathy for him not towards the end as much he could have easily painted sal and his family as like obviously like the bad people you know but you know there are a lot of moments in the film where sal sticks up for the people in the community in light of his son and very much grew up on the community as much as they grew up on him. But then there's moments where you're like, what does Sal really think about the political situation? I think that Spike Lee meant to leave his character as not completely a bad guy, but like fucked up and doesn't really realize what he's done. I agree. I mean, the thing is, I like with, with Sam's point about like some people might leave the movie and not get that point. I mean, at the end when Mookie's getting his pay from Sal, like in front of the ashes, I mean, Sal's like bitter. They're having that argument that we are currently having, which is like the value of things. And like, they killed Ray Rahim. He's like, yeah, but they burned down my place. And he's like, it's insured. He's like, yeah, but I built it with my own hands. And like, there's just this disconnect that mm-hmm. won't happen. And I've heard, like, I mean, I even yesterday, I've, I was arguing with a woman <laughs> and it was kind of along the same vein of this it was like it wasn't arguing like pro writing or anti-writing but she was like if someone burned down or broke into your car like broke your car would you want to talk to that person and my answer was like i think they're serious enough to break my car so yeah and then hers was like yeah no you know what i mean i feel like that's where this ends mookie and sal where like sal just can't see past something and that's why some people may say they're anti-writing but i do have a question I don't remember this fully, even though I watched last night. Did the riot thing spread from Sal's? Because, like, in the film, I just see Sal's burning. Mm-hmm. And then they try to attempt to burn the uh, Korean market. Yeah. And then they don't. So it was it only Sal's that was... Yeah. See, that's interesting. Because I love Sam, you were like, you know, it could teach people, like, about riots. But I think, mm-hmm. truly it goes dead into that conversation possibly too of like it could teach writers, quote unquote, as far as like whose businesses are we burning down or like who mm-hmm. is 
an ally who's on our side? Like, what does it mean to like disable these establishments? Yeah. Cause that was very interesting. It was like selective. It wasn't just like chaos. But it also brings up like an interesting point about like, who are the allies? I thought it was interesting how they determined the Koreans being allies or not, because there were some people who wanted to burn it down. So I think what happened in the scene was they were going to burn the Korean place down in the same guy, like Sweet Dick Willie or whatever his name is, <laughs> that earlier called the Koreans like enemies was the one who's like, they're black too or something. And so it's interesting to me, like how they determined who are allies and who they determined are allies. Because I think you could definitely have the same argument that like while the Koreans were less, I, I would say like even the Koreans weren't outwardly racist they were exploiting the community in a very similar way to like the way that Sal did, right? I don't know. I'm still unsure about how I feel about the portrayal of like the Koreans in the film because I don't feel like they had much of a say in the film. You know what I mean? It was like, I appreciated how it showed race relations, not only between like black and white. A lot of people I know, are having like difficult conversations with their Asian parents right now about what's going on. Because I think that from a lot of other immigrants point of view, it's like, we've never been talked about in America, but like we've been exploited in America and like, you know, we're suffering too. It's just, it feels kind of like a competition of like immigrant exploitation and suffering and who should make the headlines. And so I think that like, that's really important to talk about, but, I don't know. I just felt like the Koreans, it was just very much always from the neighborhood's point of view, but it didn't really tell their story, how they got there, why they were there. But I thought that it was interesting how, because didn't the Korean man, he said, I'm not white. Yeah, he said, I'm black. And I think that that was like kind of the defining thing where it's like, okay, he's, he was like, I'm, I'm chill because I'm not white. That was like kind of the line there. And I think it's also interesting how when what's his name the sweet dick willie and his friends yeah that's it (laughs) wait i said it out loud for the first time i was like is that right (laughs) he was talking with his friends a lot of his friends were like shitting on the korean market being like they've been here for a year and they've like made this business in our neighborhood but at the same time that's where everyone gets their groceries and i think that that just kind of shows how difficult it is for businesses to open that aren't like white or Asian run, even though it is like a predominantly black neighborhood. Also, without the Asian market or Sal, like where would they be getting their food? It's very like, we hate you, but who else is able to open a market here? And kind of going off of one of your earlier points about how like the important thing is not being white when the riots start. I don't know if it's like this in Charleston too, but around Chicago, you can see like if you drive along the streets businesses that are black owned or even like not white owned have like giant signs up that are like Mm -hmm. please don't riot please don't loot black owned which is just funny to me because when i saw that like scene at the end where he's like i'm black too i'm black too it like gave me the exact same like thought process so the film came out in 89 dynamic between like asian storekeepers and black neighborhoods is like something that's existed for a longer time i guess than we would probably originally think. Apparently it was enough to be put in the film. But like in context of the film, two years from there, killings of Letitia Harlins would happen in LA mm-hmm. where she was a 15 year old girl who was shot by a Korean store owner in Los Angeles. 
And then obviously 92 riots came and that's like the most famous like visual um, antagonization between Asian storekeepers and like the black community. So I think it's interesting that mm. like Sam said, like how exactly did they tease out who allies were or like what it meant to be fighting for the same side or like for them both to be black. And then like a couple years later, you have this visual, this pitting of them like against one another. Like what does that show? That's an underrated aspect of how these riots are different from the riots in 92. To me, these riots feel like everyone versus the police rather than the disruption in a community, if that makes sense. It feels like these riots, at least in Chicago, are not centered on the south side or the west side like people are taking it downtown people are taking it to like where the money is whereas in 92 we saw a lot of inter-community unrest and obviously anti-police maybe because people are able to get around more easily now people have really been able to take it to the police where it matters like at their headquarters hitting the big stores downtown where it really hits the money also, it was interesting the scene that they painted with the guy who drove through the neighborhood and then the police coming and not being violent about it when the guy was like, oh, look, they like washed my car and like hit me with water and whatever, whatever, whatever. And the police came and they were kind of mocking him almost. And I was just wondering, I guess, why Spike Lee decided to paint that initial picture of the police that seems rather neutral. And then, you know, obviously it escalates later. I mean, I think part of what he's trying to show is regardless of the police being normal people, Mm. they still kill people. True. You know, I feel like part of what makes the depiction of the police in this movie powerful is that they're depicted as normal people who like are in the streets and like are actually in the communities and all that but they still are bad and they kill people and i think that gives more nuance like rather than a depiction of the police as just like 24 7 just terrorists like ruining the community because i think in the real world that's not how it is it's a little more complicated than that also i think that it was powerful how he chose like the chokehold as the method in which Radio Rahim ultimately dies because with a chokehold, everybody knows that that could lead to death. And obviously also he had that dialogue between the other cop who was like, that's enough. And then the cop holding Radio Rahim was like, no. And he kept on choking him. I think that that kind of shows more of a deliberate act on the cops to do more damage than just quote unquote self-defense. Everybody knows somebody could die from being held in a chokehold for that long. So let's move on and talk about specifically the day after the burning of Sal's restaurant. It's the last scene of the movie, basically. And the way that Samuel L. Jackson's character opens it is by saying that it's another hot day. It looks a lot like the day before when Mookie goes outside. And he has this confrontation with Sal, which Teresa just alluded to. And my question is, what is the resolution of the film? Can you tell me what you mean by resolution? I need my definitions again. Are there any winners in this situation? 
what has been lost, who has been made better or worse, or what emotions have like Whoa. come out. Whoa. Yeah, because I was like, like thinking like, to go off of. Big resolution definition. Yeah, I was like, so even solved? I was like, I don't know what's solved, but as far as like in that context, I don't know. It feels, I mean, Mookie said he's going to keep making money. He's going to keep doing the same thing. Like he has a kid, he got a partner, like, Honestly, it's the way you brought up that looks the same like the day before. It kind of leaves me now with that in mind, too. Like, it might just go to the same mold and it might just mm-hmm. bubble over into the next incident. Because what, Sal's probably going to be rebuilt. It's insured. Mookie's going to keep making money. So I don't know. Maybe it really is just like a, it's a reset. Maybe it just represents a reset. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely like very much on purpose that Spike Lee ends the film echoing sort of the beginning. But I think that what's also different about this film is that I feel like after watching a lot of films, people like often look for takeaways. And I think that in looking for that takeaway, it's often unclear if you're the one who's not getting it or there was not meant to be a takeaway. And I think that in this film, Spike Lee makes it very clear that there's not supposed to be a clear takeaway. It's not like this is what was right and this is what was wrong. And especially by leaving the two quotes at the end and the film could have ended with the riots. It could have ended at the end. It could have ended at a number of spots, which would have made it made the final message, quote unquote, of the film much more clear. But I think that at the end of the day, this film to me is more of painting a picture of general race relations and tensions in America rather than evoking this is exactly what you're supposed to be taking away yeah to me what's always struck me about that last scene was okay so you have the confrontation like sal throws the money at mookie like mookie throws it back to me that's super typical and like makes sense but what i think where it's powerful is like where after they're like angry at each other and like throw all the stuff sal is like so, like, what are you going to do? And Mookie's like, <laughs> I don't really know. And they just have, like, this real conversation where they're both kind of like, life is going to go on, you know? We're going to see each other again. We might, like, hate each other, but it's not, like, this climax of, like, anger. It's, like, a very honest shit. We both now have to, like, pair our lives, basically, and we might not know where we're going to go, but we're going to have to still be in each other's lives, which I think is... Something that you don't really see in movies very often. Movies are always looking for this climax, for this emotional moment. And this is just showing that life is still going to keep going after all this ends. I also think that it's important that we talk about the mayor. When Sal's pizzeria was burning, the mayor took like Sal and his sons behind like a gate. And he was like, stay here. Yeah, I was just wondering what you thought about, I guess, the mayor's character in general and how it wasn't like the mayor was like, fuck you. He was kind of putting them in a more protective place when people were looting Sal's pizzeria. I mean, I guess that's on character. I mean, he's the one who says do the right thing to Mookie, correct? Yeah. He's like, son of a doctor, always do the right thing. So, I mean, I'm sure that's like the point of film where someone could interpret like he did the right thing. He's just protecting their lives, I suppose. I mean, also it shows like the dynamics that are just, or not dynamics, but like the contrast that's going throughout the film is just like the actions of the people versus like this individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, this might be totally stretched. I've never thought about it like this before, 
But could the mayor stand in for like the actions of the actual government where mm. they're divorcing the government from the police, which like, obviously you can't do. But mm. I feel like a lot of the governmental response, to the riots that are going on now is like, oh, we understand the anger, but we should protect the business owners. Because remember, right before they start looting, he's the one who's like, no, no, don't burn it down. And then once they start burning it down, he makes sure like the business owners get out of the way, that everything like stays calm. And like obviously still feels like the anger of the community, but in a very different way that I think the other community members do. Honestly, I, I would even say that the mayor... In a similar way, I, I would say like the mayor, his name is, yeah, appropriate. He like mm-hmm. is the community's protector. When he saves a boy and like she starts beating him and he's like, you really shouldn't hit him like that. Like multiple instances where he really is looking out for community how I suppose like a mayor should or like is expected to. Mm-hmm. So that is really interesting. He, he is a guardian, but he's supposed to be like a mirror, I think, of a mama sister, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're both like these protectors of the community. That's interesting. Or like muses in a sense. And they come together at the end. Yeah, the initial relationship that we see between Sal and the mayor, you know, when the mayor comes in and Sal gives him money to, like, quote-unquote, clean the street. They have kind of, I guess, similar, we've been here a long time in this community type of roles. And they both see sort of, not eye-to-eye with each other, but definitely more so than Sal's son, who's like, why do you keep on giving him money like that? I wanted to say this earlier, but with the whole, like, small businesses thing, I was just so impressed by this movie's ability to paint that quote-unquote dilemma that I think that a lot of people have right now. I've had so many conversations with people where they're like, okay, whatever, I support the riots, but the small businesses, though. Yeah, I just think that this movie paints a picture of how clearly Sal was in the wrong, but you do sort of see his history with the business and how he built it with his own hands and stuff explained, you know, like, I feel like a a lot of movies don't really touch on that part where people sort of feel in some ways conflicted about violence in this sense. Yeah, I see that. So to move on to the question that's been asked a billion times, and we'll see if it's like worth having a conversation about, but do you guys think Mookie did the right thing? I mean, who knows? It's like, that's the thing. For me, nice. for me, this movie, no, 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 but for really for this me, this movie has so many scenes where I think every person specifically does the wrong thing and it just kind of just plays out. Did Mookie do the right thing? I mean, are we talking about just in general, like his, his character at the movie, like him throwing the trash can through the window? The trash can. Uh, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, if you just watched... Yeah, maybe. I mean, you have to think about Mookie as a character in this movie. Like, every character in this movie is fleshed out to their fullest. Any scene that happens, the characters have center stage, or, like, the ensemble has center stage. They take over the whole thing. So, I mean, did Mookie do the right thing? Sure. If I was in Mookie's shoes the entire day and had to deal with Pino and all that, probably. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I've never heard it answered better, to be honest. But Spike Lee won't take a stand on it, which I think is interesting. Spike Lee said that he's only ever been asked that question, usually by non-Black people. Like, somebody asked him that question, and he was like, only white people ask me that question, which I think is interesting. But um, I think that Mookie did do the right thing, because as Malachi said, every character here is fleshed out to the fullest. And I think that we see Mookie as a character that doesn't really 
get involved in conflict like he's a very likable character around the neighborhood doesn't really stir shit up isn't like hot-headed really even except with his girlfriend <laughs> okay wait I'm, i want to talk about that for a second but um i think that this is where we really see mookie like fed up with everything and to talk about tina i think that i don't know this was the issue that i had with the film with spike lee's portrayal of women in this film with tina being so like annoying and even though Mookie is literally a father and definitely does not take priority for his kid, but still portrays Tina as this like annoying character. And then I also read that that scene where he's like icing her like nipples. She was crying in that scene because she felt so uncomfortable, which is why you don't see her head in it. As me and Sam discussed before, like unsure about Spike Lee's politics as a whole, but even though he makes good points. I just thought that his portrayal of women in this film was not very good. I think he struggles with his portrayal of women in general, like Chirac. I haven't seen it. I but didn't I've watch heard that. that. No, I didn't watch that either. It's a movie based around like women withholding sex from their husbands until mm-hmm. gun violence stops in Chicago. Which sounds like not super empowering to me, but I mean... <laughs> I don't know who I am to say. Do you want to see people get angrier? (laughs) That's escalation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Wait, can I add something to that real quickly? Yeah, Sam, stop cutting Uh, people off. No, no, it's not even like, I just, I was going to bring up just like, maybe this film would not pass the Bechdel test where it's like, you could take any, any woman character and replace her with a lamp, like a sexy lamp is the idea, and that it would still be the same plot. I think that's true. I mean, you could replace Jane. She's literally just like an object of affection for Mookie. She is, though, kind of like a relationship figure, but I don't know. I I do agree, though. And like overall, I don't think Spike Jones uses the uh, woman characters to their fullest at all. Besides Mama's sister, but. Yeah. So we've talked for a while about this. I know we're going to go for this long, but last couple questions. How has Do the Right Thing influenced the world around us? And what films do we see today that echo the same themes or have the same impact? And when I was thinking about this, I I think Do the Right Thing is a really unique film. I think films that even occupy the same space, Moonlight and Waves both come to mind. But other than that, I couldn't think of any. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts about that? I know it might be hard to think of comparison uh, in the fly. Yeah, I'm not a film buff. I, I never really know. I'm honestly not sure. I mean, Spike Lee's obviously like a household name, well-respected. I think it has an impact, but I'm like, is it impacting the right people? Let's, I'll, I'll say that. It's It just goes back to me seeing the chokehold, and I'm like, okay, this movie's like, people have seen this movie, people like see that there's a chokehold being used, but then we see like cops decade after decade still using the chokehold as like a viable form of, you know, just violence. So I, I don't know. I don't know who is impacting or if it's like impacting anyone. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a bit pissed I also think about it. part of the problem is I think Do the Right Thing is seen as like a classic black movie when I think this film is a lot more useful for people that aren't black. I think it says something, Teresa, that you've seen Black Klansman and she's got to have it but haven't seen Do the Right Thing when I think Do the Right Thing is like by far Spike Lee's best film but it's very much grouped into this like black movie stereotype if that makes sense which i think means that most black people have seen do the right thing 
whereas I don't think it's like seen as much on a broader scale. Would you like agree with that, Teresa? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Again, it is, and I think this is what is so dangerous about movies like Green Book and Driving Miss Daisy is that it kind of puts a limit on conversations that are able to be had in mainstream films, I guess. And it's like, oh, this is like a movie sort of about race relations in a safe way. Go us, you know? And then I think that that kind of prevents people from seeing movies like Do the Right Thing because it's like, oh, like I've seen Green Book. And I also think that's why, personally, I think it was not a good move for Spike to have made Black Klansmen being at least for me, like, I guess, a trusted voice and painting complex pictures of things that I don't really see in the mainstream media. And I think that using that trusted voice to talk about a good cop just doesn't really sit well with me. Maybe I was thinking of the movie Get Out. I don't think it occupies nearly the same space and does not paint as complex of a picture. but unlike Sorry to Bother You, I think that it was definitely more complex than a lot of films like Green Book, but also easy for the audience to get. I also, yeah, I kind of see the, I don't think Get Out's a similar movie at all, but I agree about the impact because I think Get Out's probably the like biggest black movie of the 2010s, maybe. I'd believe it. So yeah, I see where you're coming from in terms of like having a similar impact, but yeah, I don't think that there's that many films being made like Do the Right Thing anymore. Yeah. Dude, Spike Lee's um, cinematography is insane. Like, just as a form of art, this is one of the movies that I've seen that ultimately does not carry a straight plot, but you're not bored one second of it. Like, there is just so vibrant in the colors and, like, the music and the comedy. Like, it's just so perfectly paced, I think this movie yeah, it looks like hot outside like you can yes tell it's hot. i was getting hot when i was watching it <laughs> <laughs> i turned my ac on watching this movie so. <laughs> by the yeah. end of the movie you have like four fans around Sweaty. you <laughs> I, I this might be weird but for some reason like it felt like each and this this brought me to my opinion that every ensemble or character really took up their scene it felt like i was watching a play i don't know why but like the way it was presented to me felt like a play and i haven't I could, I've seen like a handful, I could count my hand, but like it was just dead center and like, boom, this character takes, they take your attention. And it's just something about how each scene progressed and how he set up each one that felt like I was in the, in the audience of something. Can't that's, explain it. That's so funny. Yeah, my, my mom said the same exact thing when she was watching the film. And I think that also that's because of Spike Lee's use of, I think they're called dolly shots where you're like zooming in on someone. Yeah. Thinking about that, like the first scene that sticks out to me is like the one between the mayor and the sister and where she's sitting on the steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've gone on for a while and we want to make sure that Malachi can get about his day. So (laughs) thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. I want to come back. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very busy schedule. But we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Malachi. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Malachi, and we hope you take the time to check out the movie Do the Right Thing. This episode can be found on quarantinecontent.com as well as in our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week. That was perfect. Yeah, yeet.